we're going to dive into today's message. Today's message is not part of a message series today. It's kind of on its own. We're, we're labeling it um, the one or until Jesus returns. A lot of you see those shirts uh, right here. I'd encourage you, those shirts are for sale immediately after service at your location. You can get them uh, wherever your uh, shirts are sold on location. Until Jesus returns is part of our mission statement here at Northwood Church. And our mission is really something that, that God has planted deep in our heart as a church and as individuals. One thing I wanted to say is that as a church, there's a lot of different churches, and I think there needs to be a lot of different churches, but I'm so thankful that God saw fit to plant me, to plant you, to plant us at Northwood Church for such a time as this. Sometimes I find myself complaining and griping that, man, this is tough. And where we live, what it feels like, what it looks like, man, why is it so hard right now? And I'm reminded that I actually think God chose us to live at this time for such a time as this. That's for you, that's for you online. But instead of looking at it as a problem, let's look at a privilege that God has given us. Another privilege that I have, and I, I wanted to take just a minute, is I wanted to honor our senior pastor, Pastor Jordan. I wanted to tell you this. Yeah, you can give it up, all locations, for real. We've been friends for 21 years, 21 years. Some of you are like, I thought you were 21. Spoiler alert, I'm not. <laughs> 21 years, you've been my pastor for four years. And honestly, I've probably learned more from you in the last four years about who you actually are. And uh, one thing about you, and just this might apply to all of you, might not apply to any of you. Uh, at first glance, you might make a, a judgment or a thought about who you are just on the way you carry yourself, on the way you look. I mean, dude, you've got gains, you've been in the gym, like, you know, but... <laughs> Three words that stick out to me right now about you is you're humble. You're humble. And in a, in a time where humility doesn't seem to be a premium, uh, I'm honored to walk with a person that's humble, that leads with humility. Um, you're also remarkably authentic. Uh, what you see is what you get. Like, like you're the real deal behind the scenes. The other word is integrity. Integrity is something that's... Um, a lot of people have lost trust in ministry because of a lack of integrity. Um, now, 21 years into relationship, uh, you walk the walk. You talk the talk, and I want to honor you. But then this, I also wanted to say this. You've made a platform, and you've given a seat at your table, uh, which isn't easy uh, for people like me, uh, for people like us, for people at all of our locations that is willing to hear the dream in your heart, and instead of stifling it, you said, man, Let's let this thing live. So I wanted to honor you. I wanted to honor Nadine for our senior pastors who, who are fearlessly, fearlessly living, fearlessly living and leading. Let's pray and we're going to dive into today's message. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to communicate your word. God, this is what it's all about. This is why we're here, God. We're not here to, to hear from anyone other than you. So God, I pray that you would take today's message God, that you would take today's words that are shared, and God, I pray that you would illuminate truth to every single person under this voice. God, on screens, on their phones, in the room, God, I pray that you would make this a reality to every single one of us today. We love you in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so today we are going to talk about sharing our faith. Sharing our faith. And for some of us, instantly, we're like, <gasps> like that's, that is terrifying just to hear those words and think, 
I don't want it. That scares me. We've got a lot of different things attached to that type of thing. Today's not going to have a lot of practical steps as much as the importance of sharing our faith and really the person on the other side of us sharing our faith. My prayer, our prayer as a team for you today is that God would reveal to you one person, one person that God wants you to share your faith, your story of what Jesus has done in your life, someone that you can share that with this week. Question for all locations, and there'll be many times we address everyone, that means on screens as well, to where like you gotta interact, so today's an interactive day. But how many of you have ever been, just by a, a show of hands, how many of you have ever been fearful to share your faith? Like just a little spooked. All right, we've got a lot of hands. My hand's up too. Like, let me just say this. You're in good company. You're in good company because as we see the scriptures, some of the greatest faith sharers, some of the greatest people and men that went and shared their faith with other people, we see them in moments of fear about sharing their faith, sharing what Jesus had done in their life. To me, the greatest Faith sharers in the word of God are probably those that followed Jesus the very closest. The ones that sat at Jesus' table during the Lord's Supper, his disciples, they went out and they did some incredible things sharing what Jesus had done in their life and for their life. But we find this one really unique season where they are not out blazing a trail sharing the stories, sharing what Jesus had done we see it, we see it in John chapter 20. This is like just two days after Jesus has been crucified. This is not Friday. Some of the newness of the reality that Jesus is no longer on earth with them is gone. Saturday has come and fear has set in. And Sunday is here and we see in John chapter 20 the greatest faith sharers, storytellers of what Jesus had done in a really peculiar situation. John 20, verse 19 says this, on the evening of that day, so this is Sunday evening, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. How is this possible? People that had walked with Jesus had seen everything that he could do, had heard everything that he said would take place, had seen the dead come to life, had seen the, the deaf ear open, had seen the blind eyes open. How could it be that they are now, other translations say, cowering in fear? I literally picture them like in the corner of a room with a blanket over their head, shivering. Like that, that's just the picture I get. Like how could they be in this spot? They have seen so much and they've even been part of so much. They've done so much, so many miracles, so much life change. I'm wondering if it's possible that their hope, that their faith, that their confidence may have been in the things that he had done instead of the person that he was. Maybe their faith was in the miracles performed. 
Maybe their confidence was that, man, this is crazy. And all of a sudden, this person that had done so many things is no longer present, even though he said this was going to take place. Is it possible that their hope, that their faith, was in the miracles instead of the miracle worker? What he did instead of who he was, who he is. The truth is we can fall into a similar spot. But honestly, there's a lot of reasons that we lack confidence in sharing our faith. What are some of those reasons? These are not all of them, but I believe that these are just some of them similar to what they said. Why do we have lacking confidence in sharing our faith, sharing what Jesus had done in our life? Some of us lack confidence in sharing our stories because we have misplaced faith. Unanswered prayers. Unanswered prayers the way that we prayed them. We put our hope in something and it didn't quite work out. We put our hope in certain things and people up the faith that we deeply want to set. Maybe some of us lack confidence in sharing our faith in what Jesus has done is because it feels like our faith has been shook because of what's taken place around us. Other reasons that we lack confidence in sharing our story is our faith just hasn't aged well. You know, there's, there's a way to age beautifully and then to not age beautifully. And I, I'm kind of off the physical side. Some of you are like, yep, I know what you're talking about. No, I'm talking about something a little bit differently. You see, there's two routes that we can go as followers of Jesus. The longer that we know God and grow in Christ, there's two routes. And we can either grow in depth the maturity and the fruit of the Spirit being present in our lives, where joy remains. Man, I love worshiping next to some people that the joy of salvation is still present and they've been saved for 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. I looked over during worship last week, my mother-in-law, uh, I don't know exactly how old she is, but I wouldn't say it even if I did, but she's been part of our church for like 40 years. And I looked over and we were just talking about how worthy God is, worthy to be praised, and I just saw her standing there with her hands raised, thanking God for what he had done. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I want that. But then there's this other brutal side of followers of Jesus that instead of, instead of salvation keeping us soft and keeping us humble and keeping us pure, we start to raise our nose to people and we look down on people. And the joy of salvation is no longer present. We want more, give me more. Like that's no longer good enough. I think some of the reason that we lack confidence in sharing our faith is simply because our faith has not aged well. It has turned. It's curdled. And it is no bueno. <laughs> I think some of the reasons that we lack confidence in sharing our faith is we just don't know enough. We don't know enough. And what we do is we realize that we don't know enough and we realize we don't know enough when we talk to people and like we start to have all the questions that they have and instead of ever engaging and growing in the conversations and the questions is we just fearfully cower and say, because I don't know, I never will know. And because I don't know now, I'm not going to pursue growth. And me not pursuing growth means I cannot share confidently the faith that I have. 
We don't know enough. That's one of my favorite things about our mission statement. Right in the middle, grow in Christ. Grow in Christ means growing our know, growing our experience, growing our intellect, but growing our relationship with Jesus. How often do we put all the questions out there that we don't know and we discount and discredit ourselves from even having conversations about our faith because we've got so many questions about our own faith? Or, th- this, is, this is for the people pleasers, we just don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> We lack confidence in sharing our faith because we wonder how they're gonna respond. And we're like, I just don't wanna hurt their feelings. And in a world that says everything is right, everything works together, it's like, do all roads lead to the same place? We see clearly in the word of God, no. He's the way, the truth, and life, but we're scared to say things like that and lead them to truth. Why? Because we don't want to offend or hurt someone. And you could probably answer others of why we lack confidence in sharing our faith. But what I've learned is that almost every excuse and every reason that we have is ultimately rooted in fear. And we see in the scriptures that God hasn't given us this spirit of fear. He's given us one of power, of love, of a sound and a disciplined mind. But we find ourselves cowering in fear when it comes to things like sharing our faith. And this is the same spot that the disciples are in. So what shifts, what happens to move them from fear to full of faith? What happens, what can happen in our life because we see them moving from fearful to remarkably confident? And we see it in the very next part of verse 19. So imagine this, let's get back in the room under the blanket cowering in fear in the corner. And it says in those moments when they're shivering under the covers, fearful for what the Jews were going to do to them, it says Jesus came in. And Jesus stands among them and he says to them, peace be with you. What a moment. What a, what a eye-opening moment for these followers of Jesus says when he had said this, he says, peace be with you. And then what does he do? He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. The ones that the disciples saw nails and spikes go through his hands and a spear go to inside. He says the marks are there, but the nails are not. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the resurrection The death of Jesus, all the things that Jesus had prophetically said beforehand, that I'm coming back, that death wasn't going to defeat me, all of a sudden, that became a reality in their life. And when that became a reality, they auto-filled every other part. They said, if that's true, if the greatest battle known to mankind was just defeated by Jesus, then every other thing that Jesus has said is automatically true. And all of a sudden, it stirred this confidence. It stirred this hope. It stirred this fearlessness. Why? Because the resurrection became a reality personally to them instead of a public story that some believed and some did not. They knew it. They saw it. They experienced within themselves. This is what moved from fearful to confident. They shift 
from holding on to their stories under the blanket cowering to going outside the walls where the same fear, the same danger was, nothing changed. The same people that wanted to kill them behind locked doors still wanted to kill them outside. But they busted the doors open and they said, I've got something that I believe in so deeply that's so true that these fearful doors can no longer hold me back. They walk out and this ignites, this ignites a confidence. A confidence in the message that Jesus had already spoken to them. But instead of it being Jesus' message, all of a sudden it became their message and they propel it, they send it out through all the walls. They become confident about it. Have you ever been confident about something? Like just deeply confident about something that nobody could convince you otherwise? A couple days ago, I was watching the Olympics. Love basketball. So I, I, actually, I love every Olympic sport. It's just fun. I like fencing. I don't understand it, but I like it. <laughs> well, I was talking to a couple friends about the Olympic Games, the men's basketball. And if you paid attention, you saw that the, in the Olympics, the first round of men's basketball, the United States got beat by France. Je suis. I think that's what you say. We oui? Is that what you say in France? Got beat by the French. And a lot of people said, Man, United States is done. They, they're, like, they're no longer competitive in that world. And they get through. And, and long story short, they get to the finals. They get to the finals, and guess who they have to play again? France in the gold medal game. Now, what I don't like about the Olympics when it takes place other spots than the United States is the events actually take place at like 2 a.m. in the morning. So, like, I'm not waking up. I love the sport. Uh, I love the Olympics, but I'm not going to wake up at 2 a.m. to watch the game. So, what takes place is I have to wait till 7 p.m. prime time where they're going to air it. It says live, but it's not live. You know what I'm talking about. Well, what happened was I accidentally got on Instagram that morning, and I, <laughs> it happened to you guys too. <laughs> like, ruined. Like, I'm not watching this game now. Well, I saw United States won the gold. Well, my friend that I was talking to later that day hadn't seen the Instagram notification. And we get into a conversation, and we're talking, and we're just, you know, being dudes like, oh, I'm right, you're right, I'm right. He's like, man, I'm telling you, the United States can't do it. They're gone. They're done. And I'm like, bro, I'll bet you a hundred bucks right now. <laughs> oh, a thousand, whatever you want. Car, pink slip. Let's go. <laughs> You see, I knew the end already. And it changed the way I even talked about it. I talked from a different vantage point. I talked with an incredible confidence and a little bit of swagger because I'm like, dude, you are wrong. I am right. The reality is, is we speak confidently about what we are confident about. And when we become confident about the message of Jesus, about the hope of eternity, that the resurrection is not just a story that's told, but it is a reality, not just in the disciples' life, but in my personal life, it changes the very way that we establish and walk this world in confidence. We speak confidently about what we are confident about. So my question to you is, are you confident about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You have to ask yourself that question in such a way that you will bust out the doors of fear, that you will walk out with the same danger on the other side of the, deer, the door, but no longer concerned about it. Why? Because the resurrection is real. The disciples knew. 
They knew our mission is that we would know God. This is the kind of know we're talking about. A deep-seated, deeply rooted, confident knowing God. And even when the miracles don't happen, we still know. Even when the prayers get answered a different way, we still know. Even when the world around us is in shambles, we still know. Why? Because we know and we are confident and we will speak boldly and confidently about the things that we are confident about. When we realize as an individual, all locations, that we are on a collision course with destruction, and there is absolutely nothing that we can do to avoid it in and of ourselves. But Jesus steps in and intercepts our destruction through the cross. When that becomes a reality, when the cross and the Holy Spirit reveals this truth to us, it changes the way that we see life. It changes the way that we see humanity, the people around us. It changes the way that we see purpose, why we exist. Like so many of us are on this, this quest to find out why am I on this earth. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have purpose on your life. And your purpose is not just for a season. It's not just for a moment in time. It's not just till your kids get out of school. It's not just till you retire. You have a purpose until you either breathe your last breath or until Jesus returns. This is what we do. Your purpose, all locations online, your purpose is you now live to worship God and to boldly proclaim the story of Jesus. This is why you live, to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus. And this is what the disciples did from that moment on. They got out the doors, even if it was costly, even if it was dangerous. In Acts 4, we see Peter and John preaching and boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus in such a way, in such a way that they start to annoy some high-ranking officials, the high priest Caiaphas and Annas and some of the council, they start to annoy them because what's taking place is people are believing the resurrection of Jesus and they are surrendering their lives to it and it's literally changing the landscape of the communities that they live in. So they do what they feel like they should do and they imprison them. They say, hey, let's settle down. Matter of fact, in this stint right here, it says over 5,000 people were added to the kingdom because of Peter and John's boldness to proclaim the good news. It says that they put them in jail for a minute and Caiaphas and Annas and, and the, the council, they approached them. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, this is what they say. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived, come on, this is going to encourage some of us. They perceived they were uneducated, common folk. Uneducated, common men. It says they were astonished. They were astonished, and this is what they said. They recognized they've been with Jesus. Guys, they've been with Jesus. How astonished are the people around you of your confidence in Christ? Do you look different? 
Do you talk different? You might still be uneducated. You might be educated. You might be common. You might be uncommon. But the question is, does something about your faith stick out? How astonished are those? And let's just, just for, just for our own selves, let's do our own feedback survey right now on a scale of one to 10. How astonished are the people around me at my confidence in Christ? No one's a 10 because you would be Christ. No one's a one because you would be Satan. So I'm just helping you guys. <laughs> I'm an optimist, so I'm helping you guys. <laughs> That's for the people that are like beating themselves up. I'm a one. I'm a negative one. Nah, you're at least a two, my friends. <laughs> Even the demons shudder. <laughs> How do I become more confident? Let's ask ourselves that question. How do I become more confident? The first step is this, surrender to Jesus. Surrender to the gospel. Not just as a story that you've heard about, but a lifestyle that you adapt. Lord, that means ruler over all, your life. Surrender to him, to the reality. And guess what? That's a choice that you make. It's not this moment that you wait. For, for some of you right now, everywhere that's hearing this, some of you right now, there's something that's going, this is real, this is real, this is real. You have to make a choice to follow the reality that Jesus is making to you right now. Choose to surrender to Jesus. That I was on a collision course with destruction and he intercepted that destruction. I'm choosing to surrender. How do you become more confident? The first thing is that you surrender to Jesus, the second one is this, start to spend time with Jesus. Y'all, most of us are seriously malnutritioned when it comes to time with Jesus. That means the word, that means worship, that means prayer, that means spiritual conversations. Small, small groups are an incredible time where you can spend time with people and with Jesus. These moments, these moments are not just something we do that lasts for an hour and 10 minutes. No, this is time where we gather together and we gather with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. The truth is, what you invest your time in becomes what you begin to live for. Spend time with Jesus. Think about it, what happens when you don't spend time with something? Because we're humans, we, we allow our time to be filled up with other things. We get consumed with other things. Prioritize time with Jesus. And then this one, which has just become so real to me recently. Pray. Pray a very specific prayer, but a very simple prayer. Tell God you're available. And then be prepared for what happens. The prayer of availability, a sincere prayer of availability to a Christian is probably the most dangerous prayer that you can pray. Because God shows you opportunity after opportunity. And I've learned that most God opportunities come at inopportune times. That means after small group, <laughs> When we're done, we're ready to roll. 
It means late at night. It means early in the morning. It means when it's a little bit inconvenient. I'm reminded of the story in Mark 6 where Jesus has been on a ministry just, it's wild, y'all. He's preaching, he's teaching, people are being raised from the dead. All kinds of things are going on. Hundreds of people are being um, reached with the message of Jesus. His followers come up to Jesus in Mark chapter 6, and they're like, Jesus, you see what we just did? He should have said, no, it's really what I did, but you know what I mean? Like He's like, and he says, guys, hold on for a minute. We are, the accelerator pedals down and the gas is running out. Let's stop for a minute. Some of us are infatuated with nonstop, go, 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 and Jesus even implements right here, let's slow down. He says, guys, let's hop in a boat, just for us, let's recover. They get in a boat, they take off, don't know how long they're in the boat, but we do see them resting, relaxing, enjoying company, just kind of recovering from ministry output. Says as they're in the boat, they start to see this crowd of people that was on this side running around the lake. And like, like, let's be honest, in that moment you're thinking, oh no, even Jesus. Oh no, no, just a breather please. And the boat's going this way and the people are coming that way. <laughs> I have a feeling Peter's saying some crazy stuff right here. <laughs> and they get to the end. And it says Jesus looks up and he sees people. Then he probably looks back at his disciples and he's like, And it says that he sees the people, and this is where the famous line is, he sees them like they're sheep without a shepherd. And I don't know how long the moment is in between that and his next move, but Jesus himself has a moment where he can either take this route or that route. And it says Jesus got off the boat and went and taught the people. He models the way. He paves the way. He shows us how. But I'm telling you this, I think it's actually in God's makeup to make it a little bit uncomfortable, to break us a little bit. If we scheduled all the moments just right and we said, okay, window Jesus, if you could work with that. No, it's when you clock out. It's at school. Students, it's at school. When it's uncomfortable when the conversation might not just be one-on-one. I think oftentimes it's uncomfortable because God likes to break us a little bit because the scripture says a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It's a whole lot less about us at that moment. It's a whole lot more about him. What I'm asking you to do is pray the simple prayer of availability. And the last one is this. When opportunity presents itself, go for it. Go for it. For some reason, we're infatuated with the crowds, the large gatherings, the masses of people. What I think God wants to share with us today is let's not look for the crowds right now, let's look for the one. The world says go big or go home. The world says maximize your energy, your output, and although that's true in the business world and in a lot of senses, when it comes to Jesus, he flips the script. Crowds were always around, but he says things like, let's leave the 99 for the one. Crowds are all around, 
all around. He's walking down streets and they're all over him. And he looks up in a tree and he sees one person that just needs a conversation with him. And he says, Zacchaeus, let's go have lunch. All alone, he sees a Samaritan woman that just needs a conversation. And all those Samarias just a little bit down the road where there's a lot of people who are far from God. He says, let's have this one-on-one conversation. Jesus flips the script and goes from this to this, and I think he models something for us. Responsibility is the one. Watch what God can do with one. All locations. We're going to have some fun right now. All locations, I just need one person to boldly stand up right where they're at. Just one person. Gulfport, just one. Thank you. I got one in Gulfport. Long Beach, somebody stand up. One person. Wiggins, one person. Ocean Springs, if you're driving, don't stand up. You're standing out right now. Wherever you are, you're standing out. It's a little uncomfortable. But there's something that's saying this is right. For the story, for the illustration, you were the one. You were the one, whoever's standing up. And although there's crowds all around, everywhere you are, you're standing out like a sore thumb. You were the one. When you take the responsibility that God lays out for us in the scriptures. You take it personally when the resurrection becomes a reality to you and that confidence says, I don't care that I'm the one standing up and standing out right now, and you just say, I'm gonna get one. You just pick someone around you. Whoever's standing up, you pick one person. Like, like say, hey, I'm picking you, and that one person stand up. You pick somebody, go for it. At your location, do it. Again, online, don't do it. That person, stand up, whoever you picked. And all of a sudden, the one became two. For point and sake, for illustration, each of you that are standing up, pick one. Go for it. All locations right now. Pick one. Stand up. Stand up. And that one has turned into four. What's funny is right now, all locations can't see what God's doing at other locations. But you're responsible for the one. You each pick one. Come on, everybody pick one. Well, if you're sitting down, you can't pick anybody. Wait till you're picked. (laughs) Because they're the ones. They're the ones. And rapidly, all of a sudden, these ones are turning into twos, are turning into fours. Pick another person. Every location, pick another person. Pick another person. That's it. You got picked. You got picked. That one turns into two. Keep going. When you stand up, you pick one. Every location right now, when you stand up, pick one. Pick one. Pick one. This is what's going on at all locations right now. The one turns into two. It turns into four. It turns into eight. It turns into 16. It turns into 32. It turns into 64. It turns into 128. It turns into 296. Guys, what you see is the one becomes the masses. Some locations right now, everyone's on their feet. Other people right now are still picking. If you're saying, someone pick me, you can stand up right now because the goodness of God is going further than just the one story. The one is turning into the masses. If Jesus has changed your life, 
church. Because Jesus has changed your life, the only reasonable response is to let him change someone else's life through your changed life. If it's become a reality, if it's become a truth, then the truth that sets you free is the truth that needs to set other people free. This is why we exist, that we would know God deeper than a story, but that we would know God, that we would grow in Christ, that we would be becoming like Jesus, and that we would go in the power of the Holy Spirit, not for a moment, but that we would do this until us as individuals either breathe our last breath or until Jesus returns. This is the mission of our church, and we believe it to be the mission of the kingdom of God. Let me end with this one scripture. In the Old Testament, you see prophets. One prophet's name, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, if you read his book, his letter, you see a lot of doom and gloom, a lot of judgment, a lot of like, this is really bad. He was warning Israel. He was saying, guys, if you abandon God, then you will be judged. You will lose the blessing. And there's a lot of his prophetic letter that says that. And if you just chronologically follow history, you see in 586, judgment come and Jerusalem falls. Right on time with what Ezekiel had prophesied. And this letter that was once doom and gloom and judgment is coming, the tone changes. And the tone changes from judgment because now judgment has taken place to hope and to restoration. And in Ezekiel 37, God speaks to Ezekiel. And it says this in verse one. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and he set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. It was full of corpses. And he led me around among them, around the valley of dry bones, around the heartache, around the people that had no life. It says, behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. It says, behold, they were very dry. Very dry means that they have been lifeless for a long time. Flesh was gone. Hopelessness had inset. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Ezekiel answered, and he says, oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these dry bones. Prophesy over the lifeless and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to those bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Church, this is what our mission is. When you came in, when you came in today or maybe on your seat when you came in, you saw this card that says how to live again. 
can I just encourage you that there are dry bones all around you. Your responsibility isn't to bring life back into those bones, but your responsibility is to show them the one that can. You've got the invite card and you purposely have one. Your responsibility this week, if you look at it, the back of it is a bunch of blank lines. Next week, we're starting a conversation, how to live again. Three weeks, we're gonna talk about how to believe again, how to dream again, how to love again. And my prayer is that God is revealing someone to you right now that needs to be here, needs to hear the word of the Lord, needs to know how to believe or dream or love again. And your responsibility is to write on the back. Pray. Say, God, what would you have me say? You can be as specific as you want, or you can simply say, hey, come sit with me. But what we're gonna do is we're going to bring people to the source of life next week. If the opportunity opens, share with them what Jesus has done in your life. Guys, we exist to help people know God, to grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your message, for your word, and God, my prayer is that it's your heart that goes out. God, your heart that spurs us to action. God, this is not a marketing campaign. This is not a church growth mechanism. God, this is a kingdom of God building tool. So God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts and lead every single person, God, whatever community they're in right now. God, I pray that faith would arise inside of every single person that says, God, I am choosing to follow you. Some of you in this room and online, you're saying today's the day that this has become a reality. I've believe that Jesus died for me and my calling is to live for him. You just have that conversation right now with Jesus. Say, I'm surrendering my life. And some of you are having a prayer right now that says, God, give me eyes to see. I'll get uncomfortable. I'll follow this method. But God, my prayer is simply this. I'm available. And God, the masses, the crowds are not up to me. The one is my responsibility we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, would you give it up for Jesus? All locations right now. Let's give God our very best. Let's give God our very best.